great to be here with you all on this first Sunday in December, the first snowy Sunday. I was telling a friend, this is like the first time it's really felt like winter to me as I had to let my car warm up for 20 minutes before I could drive here. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the family ministries pastor here, and I'm really looking forward to the time that you and I are going to share. Now, it's no secret. Christmas is such a significant time of year. It is steeped in rich symbolism and meaning, and there's significance to it but it is also a consumeristic dreamland. Never before seen gadgets and toys at never before seen prices. Now, I'm not a professional by any means of the word, but I have dabbled in Black Friday shopping for the past couple decades. For me, I love discovering those jaw-dropping prices on the items I didn't know I needed as I thumbed through the store ads I didn't know existed. And I lose sleep over the anticipation and the hope that someday soon I will have in my life whatever it is that I found that year. Now, this was never more true than when I was just a little kid in the year 1998. A new toy was set to hit the store shelves, and it was numero uno on me and my siblings' wish list. We looked at pictures, we read ads, saw the commercials, and counted down the days until our parents could hopefully score us the greatest toy of all time. We talked about how the very existence of said toy in our lives would forever change who we were as people. Now, no guessing yet. We're going to play a little round of trivia. I'm going to share some information about this coveted toy, and then I want you to try to take a stab at it. This toy made its public debut in a toy store in New York City, just one store, and within that week, they were backordered 35,000 units of these things. They were considered at the time incredibly advanced technology as they were marketed to be able to learn your language because they came with a different language altogether. As you interact with them, they begin to learn your language and repeat words and phrases back to you. They required a lot of care and almost constant attention. And one of the things they loved most was to be pet. They sold for $35, but eBay was on the rise at this time. And so they were going for two, three, four, five hundred $500 a unit. Now, just how high was the demand of this toy? Well, in a three-year period, 40 million of them were sold. And stores like Walmart reported that people were literally trampled over as other people attempted to get their hands on this life-changing, blinking, and talking creature. What do you think this toy was? Shout it out. The Furby! The Furby! Yes! Does anybody remember this toy? Okay. It was the toy that every kid wanted as excitement and anticipation swirled around its arrival. There was a frenzy around it. Like I said, people were literally trampling over other people to get their hands on one. And personally, in 1998, I could not wait to be one of the 40 million people who got their hands on this and whose lives would be impacted by it. And so, my siblings and I, we waited. We longed. Our hearts ached. It yearned for Christmas Day to arrive so that we could receive the anticipated Furby. Here at Crossman's Church, we're in the middle of a series called Christmas Playlist. And every single week, we're investigating a new familiar Christmas song, its meaning, and then its significant or importance in our life. And this week, the song that you and I are going to be investigating is an old hymn called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, this song, it's got a lot of mystery around it because there's not a definitive person who wrote the original song back in Latin but there's a guy named Thomas Helmore that in 1851, he's one that's kind of credited for giving it the common tune that you and I now sing it to. It's a soul-stirring melody, and it's become one of my favorite Christmas songs as I age. It's much different than other carols. It doesn't have the mood of an exuberant joy to the world or hark the herald. Instead, 
it captures this mood of longing, of waiting. And its lyrics, they're deeply rooted in what we would call Old, messianic, Old Testament messianic prophecy. Or another way to say that is it takes us back into the mind of old Israel, longing for the first coming of the Messiah, Savior of the world. Similar to Chris last week, I'm going to speak these lyrics. I'm not going to attempt to sing them before you and listen to their longing or their waiting. Here it is. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. O come, thou dayspring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. It's misery, but it rhymes better that way. It's easy to hear the heart's ache of ancient Israel. And the verses use words like lonely, mourns, gloomy clouds, depths of hell. But I left out an important refrain or chorus that is weaved perfectly throughout each of these verses. And it starts like this. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee. O Israel, Emmanuel is a name uh, given to God, uh, credited to God, most widely known and familiar with Jesus, but it's a name that, that means God is with us. God is with us. And I love the confidence and the understanding that the lyricists had when they wrote this song because they understood that Emmanuel will come to them, shall come to them. It was with certainty that Emmanuel was to come so then they could rejoice in their present suffering and circumstance. So the Christmas classic, it successfully brings us into the mindset of old Israel, but if we look closely, it hinges beyond just that ancient longing. And what makes this song so good and so relevant for the church today is that it masterfully doubles as a prayer, both for the first coming of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited uh, entry of the Savior of the world, and yet for Jesus Christ to yet again return for his second and final coming into our world. You see, when Jesus came into uh, our universe, or our world per se, on that very first Christmas, what we learned is that redemption had really only begun. We exist right now between these two moments of time. Many years ago, the first Christmas happened. Emmanuel arrived. He came. The Savior of the world ushered in a whole new era. And then he ascends to heaven with the promise that he is going to return again. And that has not yet happened. And so we're stuck in this moment of time. And O come, O come, Emmanuel perfectly captures this double theme. And that double theme is that Christ's kingdom has both come and is yet to come. Christ's kingdom has both come and is yet to come. This is our current circumstance. This is where you and I find ourselves right now in December 2020. As we go through this theme of rejoicing and longing, perhaps the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, can serve as a reminder of a couple new things for us this Christmas season. And the first reminder we can get from the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is this. Reminder one, we can rejoice in Emmanuel, and we can also long for his return. We can rejoice in Emmanuel, and we can also long for his return. For those who are believers that make up the church of Jesus Christ today, Christmas is a spectacular time of year that reminds us of all the things that you and I have to rejoice in. Much of the lyrics from uh, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, are from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. 
And the ancient Israelites, they would have read passages like Isaiah 7:14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then they would have read others like Isaiah 11, which state, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And as we read those two scriptures, I don't know if you caught it, but they sound an awful lot like the events that unfolded on that very first Christmas. And you would be right to think so, because they are. However, these scriptures that we just kind of went through a little bit, those were written about 2,700 years ago. And if you're a, a, a math person and you understand 2,700 minus 2020, you'll understand that that's about 700 years or so before the events of the manger happened even in our history books. And so the longing of of ancient Israel for the coming Savior is so much different for us. Why? Because, again, sitting in this moment in time, the virgin has already conceived. The son was born, and his name was indeed Emmanuel. And we know that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. He proved he had all wisdom, understanding, might, knowledge, and he boldly leads us by the fear of the Lord. Emmanuel has come to thee, and he, Jesus, changed everything through his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And so for Christians on Christmas, it's an amazing time for us to rejoice, to celebrate, to be elated with what God has done for us. The final blood has been shed. The debt's been paid. Forgiveness has been purchased. God's wrath has been removed. Our adoption is secure. The down payment's in the bank. The future's sure. The joy is great. And Jesus' arrival ushered in all of these things and made all of these things possible. And so as Christians, we rejoice. We're elated. We're glad. We're so thankful, God, for all that you have done in our lives. Thank you. But the end is not yet. Why? Christ's kingdom has both come and is yet to come. Redemption is still in process, and it will be so until Jesus returns to us again. And so, in the midst of rejoicing and celebrating and being thankful for all that God has done, the Christian heart continues to ache, and it longs, and it yearns, and it hopes, because death still snatches away, and disease still makes us miserable, tragedy still strikes, Satan still prowls, flesh still wages a war against the spirit, and sin still indwells. And like the ancient Israelites, we too can feel lonely. We can mourn. We can suffer gloomy clouds of nights and experience misery. And so this Christmas, may this be a reminder that it's okay to rejoice in Emmanuel and to be thankful for what he has done in our lives, all that he continues to do. But it's okay to also long for his return, to wait and to, to, to yearn for the completion of redemption. We long for the day when deliverance will, will bring us out of pain and heartache and disease and sin and the sufferings that we experience on this earth. We rejoice and yet we long. And so a question we could ask ourselves is, well, what do we do then in this time of longing? What do we do then in this time of waiting? Well, it takes us to our second reminder. Reminder two. Repent and turn our attention and focus back on the kingdom of God. The year 2020 has been one in which I personally never really want to live through again. It's been painful. It's strained relationships. 
It's taken away traditions, comforts, life, and securities. It's robbed us of the things, events, and time with people that we've grown used to. It's taken away our ability to experience the things we want to do and the things that we have uh, grown uh, used to doing through tradition. It's been rough. It's been real rough. But perhaps this morning we can take comfort in the fact that on that first Christmas, when Jesus arrived on the scene, his world too was pretty rough. The world back then was pretty rough as well. The nation Israel that Jesus was born into, it was currently being held captive by this brutal empire known as the Roman Empire. And day and night, armed guards would walk the streets as a reminder, this may be your home, but you are not in charge of it. The ancient Israelites, they were taxed terribly by this government too. Listen to this. There were income taxes, custom taxes, import, export taxes, toll bridges, crop taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, and special event taxes when there was a war, a building project, or a campaign to finance. There are records and accounts where uh, Jews were sometimes taxed up to 90% of their income. 90%. And to make matters worse, the nation of Israel itself was not unified. It was a political mess. It was fractured over four political parties, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots, each one trying to vie and bring in other people to their base for their cause. Disease was rampant, and there was high mortality rate amongst infants, and there were short lifespans amongst adults because of it. And so when we talk about the longing of, our savior, of the longing Savior for the ancient Israelites, this is a small glimpse into the lives that they lived from which they wanted to be saved from. But finally... The waiting was now over for the ancient Israelites. About 2,000 years ago, 2,020 years ago, the waiting was now over. The savior of the world was among the nation Israel, the one who would ransom captive Israel. The stage was set. The waiting was over. And here for the first time, the Messiah had come to rescue them out of life circumstance, to take them out of this pain, to kick the Roman Empire out to do all these things that man had thought that the uh, manual was going to do. And yet, here are Jesus' first recorded words that we have. And they're found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Again, this is the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Savior. Everyone's waiting for this to happen. Baby's born. 30 years later, Jesus begins his ministry, and here's the first words that we have. Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The very first words of his ministry on earth are, the time is fulfilled, the waiting is over, what once was promised has now come to be, you're staring at him, and then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because of Emmanuel, because of Jesus and what he would go on to do through his death and resurrection, we can experience life in the kingdom of God again. The kingdom of God is at hand for humanity. Once again, we could experience life with God. And after proclaiming these monstrous truths, he says this. He says, in order to do this, repent and believe in the gospel. I have a love-hate relationship with the word repent. This word repent literally means to stop. Stop what you're doing and turn your heart, your affections, and your attention back upon the Lord and believe in the gospel. Believe in the things of God again. Believe in his promises. Believe in his commands. Believe that his way is the best way. And most significantly, believe in the Son of God who is now standing in front of the ancient Israelites who were once in longing, who now had what they were longing for standing in front of them. Again, the very first words that Jesus speaks to a nation who was in longing 
are the exact same words that are relevant for you and I as we also sit in longing. Kingdom of God is at hand. So repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn your attention, your affections, and your heart back to God. Believe in the gospel. Later on in his ministry, Jesus would go on and he'd be with his disciples. And this is what he would say of how a believer ought to live once they then repent and believe in the gospel. This is found in Matthew 16. It's a really challenging couple verses. And so, as always, I encourage you to study it on your own time because there's a lot here that we just won't get to cover. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. I don't know if you caught, but Jesus uses a phrase in there. He uses the word cross, and cross at this time was super uh, symbolic. The Roman Empire would use a cross to violently execute people through a process known as crucifixion. In fact, it would be how Jesus uh, would ultimately offer a horrible and violent death uh, that he would experience after being betrayed. And Jesus uses this terminology in verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, anybody would repent and believe in the gospel, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the way of the gospel, and if anyone desires that, then let them actively and violently put to death the things that are not of God, that are of their own way, their own will, their own voice. Instead, take up the things of me. Follow me. Listen to me. Hear my voice, my will, my way. And for me, this is like, every time I read this, I'm just like punched in the face uh, by just conviction. Because if we're Christians this morning and we reflect on a turbulent year, that we've all had, perhaps we could ask ourselves this question. As we think about this past year, who's been doing the majority of the leading in our lives? Has it been you? Or has it been Jesus? Have we asked Jesus to follow us more than we've submitted and followed him? Verse 25 and 26, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. Or what should give a person in return, or what shall a person give in return for their soul? In the kingdom of God, we experience the fullness of life by repenting, by believing, and following. It's simple. That's it. We will forfeit our souls if we do not do these things. However, we find true life by not only believing the gospel, but following it. This is what you and I have to rejoice in today. We have a leader who knows how to experience life because he's the creator of it. I did not create life. There are many times where I think I'm an amazing leader of my life until I find myself in a position that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I cling back out to God and it's like, oh yeah, he does because he created all of this. This is the way. We get God here and now and we can experience him and his perfect way of living for us. And it's so much better and life on our own. We also get the promises of eternity, and we get to long for the day when Christ completes his great work of redemption 
that he began all those years ago while still experiencing the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. I told you a little while ago that me and my siblings were hoping beyond hope for the Furby, that we would have it underneath our Christmas tree in the year 1998. And finally, after waiting and waiting and waiting, what seemed like forever, Christmas morning was upon us, and we could not believe it. Somehow, our parents managed to get the toy of the future. The endless waiting was now over, and our relationship with the long-awaited Furby was now beginning as we began unboxing it. The original Furby's design was a disaster. It had no off switch, and it repeated your words back to you. It had its own sayings, and the thing talked nonstop. It would not shut up. It just kept talking and talking and talking. The only way to get it to be quiet was to let it be still for a long time. In fact, I talked to somebody this morning who had one. He's like, dude, we jammed it in my closet, but the thing just kept turning on. Any bump, any hard walk on the floor, any break of the car would turn it back on for its next agonizing round of never-ending speech. Furby will go down as one of the worst toys of all time, and I don't care if that offends you in any way. I would take a newborn any day over a Furby, just to put it in perspective. Am I the only one who had disdain or harsh memories of this toy? I mean, there's got to be others out there. And yet, 40 million people sacrificed large amounts of their time standing in lines. They took bold and, I would say, not great financial risks. They expended a lot of emotional and mental energy to get their hands on this toy of the future, a Furby. And I think outside of toy museums, 99.9% .9 of them have found new homes in landfills as they experienced massive disappointment. My experience with Furby takes us to our third and final reminder that we can gather from the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that reminder is this, let's not get distracted by the things of the earth as we wait for the creator to return. Let's not get distracted by the things of the earth as we wait for its creator to return. Now you may be saying, whoa, 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 Brian, come on. It's just parents going the extra mile to make sure they can give their toys a slice of happiness on Christmas morning. There's nothing wrong if a Furby can do that. And to that, I show the evidence here. If the pursuit of materialistic stuff to satisfy us was just for our kids, then fine. But you and I as adults, we take financial risks, go to physical extremes, and expend much mental energy to get the things into our lives that we believe will bring us what we are longing for. People here are literally fighting over TVs, ripping them out of the hands of other people just because the store was able to create an ad that gives the illusion and the appearance that this TV is massively on sale, and sometimes they are, for a piece of plastic that can display some images. The power of stuff is real, and I know that Satan uses it really well in our country to get us distracted off from the one that truly matters. Now, now, I wanted to say this. I've been the guy that's been fighting over TVs before. Okay, so I'm not judging any of you. I'm judging myself here. But it goes beyond TVs and Furbies. It goes beyond stuff. You and I spend so much money, time, mental and physical and emotional energy to get things into our lives that we believe is going to satisfy that soul's longing. We do. But let's not get distracted by the things of this earth as we wait for its creator to return. Let's not chase after our soul's longing by pursuing relationships, career, status, college prestige, social media followers, in, being an influencer, our accolades. Now, all those things can be good, but when we use those things to secure our heart's longing, our soul's longing, it's going to fail us every time. 
Instead, let's keep our attention on him. Let's repent, put it all back on him, and let's follow, let's long and rejoice. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, Jesus, free your own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell, save your people and give them victory over the grave. O come, Jesus, from on high and cheer us by your expected return. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, Jesus, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads to you and close the path to our misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. Christ's kingdom has both come to us and yet we are longing and expecting its return. So we can rejoice, but we can also long. We're called to repent and to follow and we actively should be working against the ways of Satan to try to trip us up and distract us as we wait upon the Lord as we continue to follow him throughout this lifetime. If if you are hearing these words for the first time and you are not yet a believer of Jesus Christ, the invitation of repentance was never more true today than it was all the way back then. Maybe today, as you heard a story about a Furby, it could be a reminder that that was the moment that you took that eternity-altering step and you repented and you believed in the gospel for the very first time. And then you begin to follow and live every day in this spirit of rejoicing and, and salvation that Jesus gives to us and yet longing for what is still yet to come. And as for believers, maybe our response to all this is a little bit different. I'll be transparent with you. 2020 was a pretty rough year for me and my walk with the Lord. It tested my faith unlike any other year in history to this point. It pointed out gaping holes in my understanding that I had with God and my own relationship with him. And I look back and I see so many lack of experiences that I've had with It shined a light on my own hypocrisy and my own idolatry as I certainly did not believe that in order to save my life, I needed to lose it. Instead, I often tried to gain the whole world by taking up causes, by being what I thought was informed and spearheading this and doing that. Instead, what I was doing was wasting my breath and forfeiting my soul. But friends, the year 2020 is not over, not even close. And the invitation of repentance is still extended for us as believers and non-believers. And so today, as I told 9 a.m., my commitment this week is that, God, I repent. I repent. I, I give you back my attention and my affection and my heart. And I choose to believe in you and your kingdom as the best kingdom on this earth that you gave your life for. And God, I will try daily to put, my, to put the death of the will of Brian and instead follow your perfect will that I know is of love, understanding, wisdom, mercy, peace, justice, and grace. So as we talked about this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and as we looked at some scriptures this morning, I can ask you the question, what is going to be your response this morning? What's your response? Reflect on your life this past year. Perhaps you need to have a moment of repentance where you just stop and give your heart and attention and focus back to the Lord. Be mindful daily of your call to follow him. For all of us in this room, our prayer here at Crosswinds is that we will end this year spiritually better than we found it. We say spiritually better, we say, what we mean by that is we hope that you have been drawn closer to the living God as we we exit this year than we began it back in January. I want to pray for you, 
And then uh, I just hope that we, we kind of keep these thoughts in our head and that we really would have some moments with the Lord today and every day. God, thank you so much for just who you are. Thank you for creativity as we have songs that can be so powerful and influential. As we uh, kind of uncovered this, this song that's really been, been sung for centuries, Lord, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's this incredible reminder that, God, your kingdom has both come and is yet to come. And so often we can swing on the pendulum. We, we can forget all the things that you've done for us and all the things we have to rejoice in as we sit in our current state of suffering and pain and we long for that day. Or yet, God, we can swing to the other side and we can be so focused on just wanting everything to be over that we forget all the good things that you're doing here and now. So God, help us to keep us in the middle of that tension. God, for anybody here who has not yet made a decision for you, I pray that, God, you would just be pulling at their heart that they would repent this morning. They would turn their heart and their attention and their affections upon you for the very first time. God, you would give them just that, that freeing feeling of salvation, peace at last. And God, for a believer who's here, who maybe has a similar journey to mine through uh, a turbulent election season, uh, COVID pandemic, just everything in chaos, that, that God, perhaps we've allowed our own wills to get ahead of yours. God, maybe we repent this morning, put our hearts back upon you, and treat you as the king that you are. We pray this all in your name. Amen.